when you think of freedom. No parents, no strings, none of it. Children say it all the time, but if you actually have seen that film, it's a disaster afterwards. <sighs> like they have their day of fun and it's, it's chaos. It's hilarious actually. It's one of the best scenes of what human freedom we really think it is. Like it's no parents, they make a wish, the parents go away, they wake up, they all come stumbling out into the street and they're like, no parents, no parents. And then you just see the chaos of children running a city. And then the very next morning, the cries start coming out. I want my mommy. We had a cotton candy eating contest and I won. And this kid is like huge, right? And like they've all gorged themselves on sugar and everything you can possibly want. And then they realize this is no way to live. Now, parents, we're not off the hook either because we have an idea of freedom and it just comes out in our music, right? Rolling Stones, they said, I'm free to do what I want any old time, right? Did you know that the next part, he says, I'm free to take what I want any old time. Like, is that freedom? Like that, that actually sounds like lawlessness. That sounds like I'm free to do what I want, take what I want. You might have some people be like, hold up, no, that's not freedom, right? George Michael, he said, freedom, all you gotta do to be free is to take these lies and make them true somehow. I don't even think we think about what we're seeing. Like he says, for freedom, I, I, I gotta take these lies and make them true somehow. It's funny because... Um, we were listening to the radio on the way home and I think Jude was like four or five and the Queen song, I want to break free, came on like that song, it came on you're like, I want to break free. And Jude's like, dad, it sounds like this guy has a freedom problem. <laughs> Great observation, right? Like we talk about freedom and we talk about it, we want it, we have a desire to be free, children and adults alike. But what's good about that is that that desire for freedom is right. So way God made us. He made us to be a free people. I hope you understand that. In the first several chapters of Genesis, we see God created us a free people. He did not create us to serve his needs because he has no needs. He put everything around his people and then walked among his people and we were met to have all of our needs met in his presence. Freedom, right? Complete and total freedom. God made us free, and God called it good. But the enemy of God planted a thought, didn't he? Is God holding out on you? And we bought a hook, line, and sinker. Now we say we've got this. To be truly free, we must unhinge ourselves from God. The human heart is meant to find freedom in being in God's presence. Now we believe that true freedom comes from being out of his presence. See how quick that changed. We desire freedom, and now all we do is argue about how to go about 
finding that freedom. The greatest dupe in all of history is that freedom is found without God. And we've been seeking freedom ever since, and that chase has not gone well. Let's just be honest. We are so wrapped up in our chains, in our way, in our sin, in our despair. And Jesus, fresh out of baptism, in the toughest 40 days any man would face in the, in the wilderness, comes to a small church in a small community. He's handed a scroll and he reads these words. Verse 18 of Luke chapter four. The spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Verse 20 says, he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes were on him. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. It was a shocking statement. But the truth is, for it to be good news, guess where it has to go? Where people are used to bad news. It has to be new, it has to be something that they're not used to hearing because we've heard it all before. But to hear it as good news, it has to be above and better than what we're used to. For captives to be released, it suggests that there's a prison sentence we are facing that we cannot get out from on our own. For sight to come, guess what we have to acknowledge? We're blind. We can't see. Yes, does Jesus do this physically for people? Yes. But the whole world isn't physically blind. He might be speaking of something a little deeper. And then lastly, for the oppressed to be freed, we must be able to admit that we're under the rule of a cruel master. Jesus came to bring freedom God designed us to be free, and we like the freedom thing. We love that. We just didn't like the God thing. Mankind cannot experience true freedom without God. That is the promise of Scripture. We've tried everything, yet we find ourselves bound up. Jesus reminds us over and over that freedom was lost, not when we're in God's presence, but we have, when we've removed ourselves from it. Jesus came to make life with God possible Again, I know this is a lot to consider, but this is where Paul takes the church in this chapter in Galatians chapter five. It's actually what we were made for. Freedom is what we were made for. It's what we long for, but how do we get free? And what is that freedom for? We have to be able to answer both of those questions. Otherwise, we will just fly off the cannon. We'll lose, I mean, we'll just be just running all over the place thinking that it's just about Mom and dad not being here. Listen to Paul's words, Galatians chapter five, verse two. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ, you have fallen away from God's grace. Paul is reviewing where they have been. This people used to be bowing down to tiny little idols. Paul had to say, look, those things aren't really God. They don't have any power. You made them by your hands. You should have figured that out, but you didn't. He said that now you've heard about Christ 
the power of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, and now you can say that you know the one true and living God, and what's even more exciting about that is that God will acknowledge that he knows you. We've talked a lot about that whole thing where we're like, I know God, I know God, I know God, and Jesus says, look, there's gonna be a, there's gonna be a time where people are gonna be like, Lord, we did all these things in your name, and, Jesus, and, the, and the Lord's gonna be like, look, I, depart from me, I never knew you. Yeah, you may be saying, I know God, I know God, I know God, but... There's something that has to change. And God actually is able to say, I know you. What a beautiful invitation through faith in Christ. They've entered into this new relationship. It's brand new, but now they are on dangerous ground because they are gonna go backwards. These false teachers creeping in and speaking up are saying, look, yeah, you've got Jesus, but that's not the full religious experience. You need to add this, this, and this. That's all the circumcision talk. That's all the law talk, all outwardly focused behaviors, okay? In the Old Testament, there was an outer focus. There was a, you've got to cut this off. You will be these people. You will be a physical picture of who my people are. In the New Testament, we see a spiritual cutting away a circumcision of the heart, a removal of the sinful nature that we as the church might be marked as his people. And as all we've talked about, Paul did not say the law is bad, okay? Listen to Galatians 3, he says this, why then was the law given, right? He's not saying forget about the law. He's saying the law served its purpose. It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins, So my question is, when the law reveals your sins, where do you run? From God to God. The invitation is to. See, we often believe when we feel the weight of our sin, we feel the weight of the law, we run from God and we try harder to approve ourselves by the law. Guess what? The law, the doing, is not gonna give you an attaboy. You will never hear the law tell you, way to go in keeping that law. When was the last time you were pulled over by a police officer who said, just wanted to tell you, I'm really glad you were doing the speed limit. Just wanted to tell you, hey, I I saw how you didn't roll through that stop sign, congratulations. The law does not give attaboys, and for you to run circles around performance, you're never gonna hear it. But when the law reveals your sin, you are invited to run to God not from him. Paul reminds the people if they're obsessed with doing good works, if that's all they're obsessed with, then Christ will mean nothing to them. There are many of you who might be able to say, I really don't care about that table because I had a really good week. I sponsored three more kids through Compassion International. I paid to dig more wells. I gave a goat for Christmas to a village through giving. I did X, Y, and Z. And here's the deal. Some people may approach this table arrogantly. You go, if I had two options, if works or, or grace, I did good this week. Paul is saying, look, when you go backwards into the law, Jesus actually means nothing to you. I think there's a reason many of us don't feel that affection for Christ, and it's anchored in our affection for our works. I'm good. But Paul is saying, look, you go backwards into doing and the works, just remember, you have to do them all. Like, I think we're selective in our good works mentality and our good performance mentality. We are selective. We're like, I can do this, this, and this, but the rest of this stuff, it doesn't really matter. Paul's saying, oh no, it matters. You wanna live a life that's based on doing good and all the works? You gotta do them all. 
You don't get to choose. And then lastly, he says, if you're obsessed with your performance and your works, you are not depending on God's grace. You're depending on yourself. These are hard reminders for a church because a church can be obsessed with her appearance and her behavior in a way that would actually be considered deadly doing. We talked about that last week. And Paul says, for the Galatians to come out of this kind of slavery to idols and to the law, like being, feeling the weight and being crushed by the law and never being able to keep it up, he says, don't go backwards. Why would you do that? They can't both exist. It can't be both you're saved by your works and you're saved by grace. We talked about the law of non-contradiction. They're totally different and they can't both be true at the same time. And so what is it gonna be, church? Is it gonna be God's grace, just how you encountered his spirit, or is it gonna be by, his, by the law that only condemns? This is the reality of what they were facing Verse five in Galatians five, but we who live by the spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. We love our own righteousness, but let me tell you, you want the righteousness God promises. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, hear verse six, please. There is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important? is faith expressing itself in love. All of this talk about freedom, Paul tells us what is most important. It is not just your freedom, but how you use that freedom. I know people who are just obsessed with nothing keeping them down. I have got to be free. And they've become a slave to not being captive. It's such a strange thought, but it's what we do with our very human philosophies and all the ways of the world. We're like, I'm just not gonna, nobody's gonna keep me down. Nobody's gonna tell me what to do. Nobody's gonna step on, you know, like, and then they become obsessed with being free and they're bound and they don't even see it. Paul is not saying that freedom is most important. It's how we're using this freedom and faith expressing itself in love. Paul has just put a boundary on freedom, which sounds very strange to us, but the truth is, would Michael Jordan have been Michael Jordan if there were no lines on a court? No. Because those boundaries, playing within the confines of that basketball court, the rules, the lines, everything, made him a superstar. Without those lines, he's just a guy running around. I had a kid I was coaching one time and he came into basketball practice right after Christmas and he was on a hoverboard, right? One of those wheelie deals and he was wheeling around like, zzz, he's like, pass me the ball, pass me the ball, whoop, you know, pass me the ball. He's doing, he's practicing on a hoverboard. It's fantastic, it's hilarious, but it doesn't count. You can't play the sport of basketball on a hoverboard. I'm sure someone will invent it. I'm sure it's gonna happen, but as of right now, he can wheel around all he wants on that basketball court, but nothing he does will count or matter for the game of basketball. Paul has just put a boundary for us that will bring us to life, and it's not just love. And I need you to hear me say this. If it was just about love, even love, you and I will corrupt. 
If it was just about, hey, just be loving and God will sort it out in the end. If that was the invitation, we would hear that invitation, but we do not hear that invitation. Because even in love, outside of Christ, you and I can be incredibly selfish. And I'm not just telling you this, Leadership Journal will. Amy Simpson, a writer for Leadership Journal says this, sometimes serving others is really about serving ourselves. And that's when codependency enters the picture. People who are codependent serve to meet their own emotional needs and desires. They serve whether others really want to be served or not. They serve in ways that keep the people around them growing, changing, and thriving. They serve and serve and serve long past the point of health and true effectiveness because they are addicted to what serving others gives them. A sense of value, preservation of the status quo, dependency in others. We can be selfish in our attempts to love. We don't wanna talk about that because the appearance is, oh man, that, that dude, he does some loving stuff. But you don't know the heart. God knows our hearts. Another reason Paul doesn't just say, well, what's most important is love is because he gave his son. As a Christian, if you whittle it down and go, well, it's just love is all that's important, you know what you're saying? God killed his son needlessly. God laid his son down needlessly. Jesus laid his life on the altar for us for no reason. It's an extreme statement, but it is what we say when we say, you know what? I'm just gonna love and hopefully they'll love and it'll all get sorted in the end. It has already been sorted. Paul said what's most important is faith expressing itself in love. Faith expressing itself keeps our love rooted in knowing we are loved. Do you know the difference between knowing you are loved and doing something to be loved? Huge, huge difference. We love because we are loved, not because we are trying to get love. This is the power of faith expressing itself in love. Right standing with God is built on faith alone, but that faith is expressed in love. Martin Luther, very famous theology brain, said these words, the whole Christian life, inwardly it consists in faith towards God, and outwardly in love and good works towards our neighbor. Inwardly before God, who has no need of our works, and outwardly before men whom our faith profits nothing, but who have need of our love and our works. God has no need for our works. He has no needs. He sees our faith. Our neighbor, we can talk about our faith all day long. They don't need to hear about our faith. Our neighbor who needs mercy needs our works. Do you understand the difference? You're not doing the works for God. He has no need of your works, but your neighbor desperately needs your works. Telling your neighbor about your faith when they are in need does nothing. Your neighbor needs your works. Charles Spurgeon, a pastor, in England said this, we will know where our faith is anchored by that which comes from it. 
look, I understand why bumper stickers and t-shirts and phrases of my church is in nature. My church is at the beach. I know why that's popular, because there ain't no people involved, right? I love a tree because it doesn't talk back to me. I love the ocean and the starfish because they don't hassle me and ask me for things, right? I get the concept. People are hard, but guess what? So are you, right? I understand the concept of let's do church out in nature. I'm not anti-vacation, I'm not anti-quiet moments, but I am anti-false views of the church. I don't want people to believe that that's the same thing happening. Yes, can you have a moment with the Lord somewhere in nature? Yes. But to go, my church is where there are no people. That's not how it works. Many Christ followers actually are practicing Buddhists without even knowing it. The Buddhist aims to remove themselves from all forms of suffering. And guess what leads to suffering? Love. So why do you build a monastery on the top of a mountain so you can remove yourself from love and the possibility of suffering causing you harm? Loving people, it's why the mountains are there. But this is not what we see in Jesus. Jesus came down from his high home in heaven into the mess, legit, to show us how to love to show us what it really looks like, a love that serves. Jesus didn't invite us into a life that he was afraid to live. He didn't, from heaven, throw truth bombs. Hey, y'all better get to loving, or I'm gonna come down there, I'll mess y'all up. No, he actually came and lived it for us so that we know we are not associating with a God who is far from us, but who is right there with us. Verse 13, Paul says this, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. Don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul is painting a picture of freedom that much of the world would laugh at. But as Jesus has loved us, So our faith leads us to love others. Because we are loved, we love. We do not love so that we will be loved. People who know they're loved are very dangerous people. Do you know that? They're willing to risk. They're willing to go to hard places because their identity is not in whether the person reciprocates that love. People who know that they are loved will move dangerously in faith because success or failure does not determine if God is with them. They know he's with them. There is a very big difference between acting, trying to earn love, and acting out of knowing you're loved. This is the difference between the person who walks with the Christian walk of, well, I have to go to church, I have to worship, I have to give, I have to serve, or the person who goes, I get to do those things. I'm free of strings, I'm not doing to impress God, I'm not doing to impress anybody. It's just a part of my life, it's a part of the makeup. Like my kids used to always say when they were younger, we'd give them an hour of screen time if X, Y, and Z were done and they would be like, I only have one hour to play, right? I would rather them say, Father, 
by your gracious, benevolent will, I get an hour to play games. Father, yes, I know electronics are, are not a necessity in this world, and I have seen how the world around has to live, and now I acknowledge the greatness of being allowed one hour. I will treat that hour as if it is the best hour of my life. Thank you, Father. It's never going to happen, but a dad can dream. But, <laughs> but, many of us approach our walk with the Lord this way. And if that's the way you approach it, I am sorry, because that's not his intentions for us. The difference between a have to and a get to is drudgery and joy. And friends, if there is no joy, you could be anchored to the wrong thing. Joy is not this shiny, happy Christian feel. It's not this, I'm gonna be fake and make everyone think I'm good. No, joy is the underlying hope that what Christ has accomplished in the past has determined my future, and it is all good. Verse 16, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants, and the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions, but when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation to the law of Moses. It's simple. If the Spirit of God brings us to life, he will lead us into all life. Why would you look to the law to do that if the law couldn't bring you to life? Stop it. Look to the Spirit. The Spirit brings us to life. The Spirit leads us in life. This is the simple truth being expressed, and it is so hard for us to get because we're so performance-based. This new strength shows up, and it keeps us from giving into our sinful nature, but the Holy Spirit also keeps us from running to the law. That's the beauty of what the Spirit does. The Spirit wakes us up, goes, hey, hey, don't, 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 nope, sinful nature is gonna lead you into death, it's gonna lead you into bondage, don't run there. But it also causes you to go to finding your identity in anything but what Christ has done. Look, you're putting your trust in, you're going to church, and you're singing in the choir, and you're giving, and you're serving, and you stop it, right? Trust what Christ has done is enough. And then Paul gives two litmus tests. The first being in verses 19 through 21. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. I love that he's just like, just other sins like these. You know what I'm talking about. I ain't gotta get specific. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. I need you to hear me say, Paul is not pulling a switcheroo here. He is not saying it's by faith that you're saved. Now you best get on your best behavior. That's not what he's saying. He's saying when you depend on yourself, there's going to be a natural progression. And it's not a good one. It is going to be filled with us simply saying, God, I know what's best for my freedom. What I know is better than what you know. That's 
the heart of the flesh, right? We'll run to sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. Basically what we are saying is that God, I know better than you, and I know a better route to satisfaction, right? We, one night stands, multiple sexual partners, dishonoring of the marriage bed, pornography, adultery, sexual abuse, all kinds of sexual confusion, believing that if I just give myself to these things, I will know a better satisfaction. God, you are not enough. I know a better satisfaction. He continues with idolatry and sorcery. God, you are not enough. I know a better way to power. It's why people practice these things. We're not just talking about the idolatry of money. We are actually talking about people who are looking for substitutes to the power of God, counterfeits to the Holy Spirit. They are saying, God, you are not enough. I know better power. But then you get to the, uh, the allowable church sins list, right? Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy. God, you are not enough. I will get better results. That's why we throw around our anger, isn't it? It's why we throw around our quarreling, our arguing, our dissension. I want my way and I will get better results if I do it on my own. Drunkenness, wild parties, God, you're not enough. I know a better feeling, right? God, you can't ease the pain like these things can. God, your presence can't take care of me like this bottle can. God, your presence can't take care of me like this feeling can. Can you match the energy of this nightclub? It's just us saying, God, you're not enough, and I know better. Now, what's interesting about these is Jesus said to the Pharisees and the prostitutes, you're both getting into the kingdom before the religious leaders of the day. So clearly, entrance into the kingdom is not about what we do or don't do. It's about whether or not they knew Jesus. The sheep knew, the goats did not. What Paul is simply getting back to is Jesus' teaching. Those who know Jesus are known as children of God and won't live their lives built on these things. We will, at the end of the day, be a people who surrender and say, you are enough. Paul is not suggesting that we won't struggle against these temptations. That is not what he's saying. But he is saying, now you have a way out. Where the flesh was the only power at hand who had no way of crushing the sinful nature's desires. Now the spirit of God has moved in and there is a new strength to say, Lord, I'm struggling. I need that new feeling today. Please meet me here. And in verse 22, as Katie was referencing this morning, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against these things. This is one of the most beautiful passages and promises in this, in this book because it means God's not done with you or I. Please don't confuse gifts and fruits because I know some of you are like, well, that's not just me. I'm, not just a pa- I'm just not a patient person. No, you're not. Can you just admit that? 
You're not a patient person, but guess what? According to this book, his spirit dwells in you. Galatians 2, listen to Paul's word. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Yeah, you're not a patient person. Just go ahead and confess that. But I'm not a joyful person. No, you're not. But Jesus is. It was the joy set before him that allowed him to endure the cross on our behalf. I don't have any self-control. No, you don't. Just confess it. But Jesus was the picture of self-control. Never losing it, not even once. I'm gonna fly through some slides here, Darren, and I want those, if we can throw those up there for me. Love, serving another because they have value, not because I'm trying to find mine. Joy, anchored in the promises of God because of who he is. Peace, Confidence in the control of God. I can rest. Patience. Facing trouble without exploding. Kindness. The ability to serve others without worrying about yourself. Goodness. Goodness is this, the the word is integrity. It means being the same person at all times. Not just good deeds, but I'm good. Not that my behavior is good, but I'm good, I'm whole. I'm one person all the time. Faithfulness, true to your word. Yes means yes, and your no means no. Gentleness, self-forgetfulness. I would tell you 9.9 times out of 10, when I am not gentle, I am only thinking of what's interfering with my plans. I can almost guarantee that's the same for you. Self-control, the ability to pursue the important over the urgent, not impulsive or uncontrolled. I have just described to you the life of Jesus. You and I, we're probably not gonna be able to do this on our own, and the Christian walk, first and foremost, is not just do what Jesus did. The Christian walk is you need to surrender. That's the power of this morning, and Darren, there are two phrases Not to oversimplify the gospel, but the beginning of freedom is acknowledging that you aren't. Some of you think you are so free, you are so wrapped up. Can you bring it to him? The life lived apart from God must be repaired. Jesus came to bring freedom and he came to show us how to use our freedom. As the band comes and we close this morning. Without knowing what Jesus has done, you will continue to roll your eyes at worship, at prayer, at serving, at all the things we are invited into. But repentance is not just trying to do those things now with a new energy. Repentance is changing our heart and our mind towards God and we need his spirit to do that in us. It begins with you encountering your thoughts on yourself, on God, on sin, and on freedom. He has begun to change our mind. Something that is impossible on Facebook is made very possible through the Spirit of God. This morning, the fruit of the Spirit challenge isn't just go do that. The fruit of the Spirit invitation is to surrender. Go, Lord, I I don't look like that. 
And to hear your father go, I know, I know, I know. I've been waiting for you to say that for a really long time. Now freedom's coming in. Freedom's moving in. To really know love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, you have to know the giver of all those good things. You don't get to come up with them on your own. You just look at Jesus. That's the invitation. Paul's words aren't, all right, it's by faith. Now you better straighten up. No, it's all by faith. Just confess, I am not a joyful person. I am not a loving person. I am not a patient person. I am not a self-controlled person. But you don't have to stay there. The fruit of the Spirit is the promise that God's not done with you, and He's not done with me. But it starts with surrender. It starts with acknowledging, I can't be free on my own. I need the presence of God here. Father, I ask that as we consider the fruit of the Spirit, I know, I know, I know, if we're performance-based people, if we're list-based people, we will run out that door going, I don't want to do this, I want to do this. But maybe we just need to go, I'm bound up. I'm bound up by my sinful nature. I'm bound up by trying to impress you by the law. I just need to be free. And would you hear Jesus say, the scripture you have just read this day has been fulfilled. Freedom, sight to the blind, release from captivity, removal of oppression from sin. Thank you, Jesus, that it is about you and it's not about us. It's in your name we pray.